Chapter Eighteen, Part Two, of the Worst Journey in the World, Volume Two, by Apsley Cherry Garrard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen, The Polar Journey, Farthest South, Part Two. Sunday, March the eleventh. Titus Oates is very near the end. One feels. What we or he will do, God only knows. We discuss the matter after breakfast. He is a brave, fine fellow, and understands the situation, but he practically asks for advice. Nothing could be said but to urge him to march as long as he could. One satisfactory result to the discussion. I practically ordered Wilson to hand over the means of ending our troubles to us, so that any one of us may know how to do so. Wilson had no choice between doing so and our ransacking the medicine case. We have thirty opium tabloids apiece, and he is left with a tube of morphine. So far the tragical side of our story. The sky completely overcast when we started this morning. We could see nothing, lost the tracks, and doubtless have been swaying a good deal since. 3.1 miles for the forenoon. Terribly heavy dragging. Expected it. Know that six miles is about the limit of our endurance now if we get no help from wind or surfaces. We have seven days' food, and should be about fifty-five miles from Wonton Camp to-night, six times seven equals forty-two, leaving us thirteen miles short of our distance, even if things get no worse. Meanwhile, the season rapidly advances. Monday, March 12th. We did six-point-nine miles yesterday, under our necessary average, things are left much the same. Oats not pulling much, and now with hands as well as feet pretty well useless. We did four miles this morning in four hours twenty minutes. We may hope for three this afternoon. Seven times six equals forty-two. We shall be forty-seven miles from the depot. I doubt if we can possibly do it. The surface remains awful, the cold intense, and our physical condition running down. God help us, not a breath of favourable wind for more than a week, and apparently liable to headwinds at any moment. Wednesday, March 14th. No doubt about the going downhill, but everything going wrong for us. Yesterday we woke to a strong northerly wind, with temperatures minus 37 degrees. Couldn't face it, so remained in camp till two, then did five and a quarter miles. Wanted to march later, but party feeling the cold badly, as the breeze, north, never took off entirely, and as the sun sank the temperature fell, long time getting supper in the dark. This morning started with southerly breeze, set sail and passed another cairn at good speed. Halfway, however, the wind shifted to west by south, or west-southwest, blew through our wind-clothes and into our mitts. Poor Wilson, horribly cold, could not get off ski for some time. Bowers and I practically made camp, and when we got into the tent, at last, we were all deadly cold. Then, temperature now, midday down to minus 43 degrees, and the wind strong. We must go on, but now the making of every camp must be more difficult and dangerous. It must be near the end, but a pretty merciful end. Poor Oates got it again in the foot. I shudder to think what it will be like to-morrow. It is only with greatest pains rest of us keep off frostbites. No idea there could be temperatures like this at this time of year, with such winds. Truly awful outside the tent. 
must fight it out to the last biscuit, but can't reduce rations. Friday, March 16th, or Saturday 17th. Lost track of dates, but I think the last correct. Tragedy all along the line. At lunch, the day before yesterday, poor Titus Oates said he couldn't go on. He proposed we should leave him in his sleeping bag. That we could not do, and we induced him to come on, on the afternoon march. In spite of its awful nature for him, he struggled on, and we made a few miles. At night he was worse, and we knew the end had come. Should this be found, I want these facts recorded. Oates' last thoughts were of his mother, but immediately before he took pride in thinking that his regiment would be pleased with the bold way in which he met his death, we can testify to his bravery. He has borne intense suffering for weeks without complaint, and to the very last was able and willing to discuss outside subjects. He did not, and would not, give up hope, till the very end. He was a brave soul. This was the end. He slept through the night before last, hoping not to wake, but he woke in the morning, yesterday. It was blowing a blizzard, he said. I am just going outside, and maybe some time. He went out into the blizzard, and we have not seen him since. I take this opportunity of saying that we have stuck to our sick companions to the last. In case of Edgar Evans, when absolutely out of food and he lay insensible, the safety of the remainder seemed to demand his abandonment, but Providence mercifully removed him at this critical moment. He died a natural death, and we did not leave him till two hours after his death. We knew that poor Oates was walking to his death, but though we tried to dissuade him, we knew it was the act of a brave man and an English gentleman. We all hope to meet the end with a similar spirit, and assuredly the end is not far. I can only write at lunch, and then only occasionally. The cold is intense, minus forty degrees at midday. My companions are unendingly cheerful, but we are all on the verge of serious frostbites, and though we constantly talk of fetching through, I don't think any one of us believes it in his heart. We are cold on the march now, and at all times except meals. Yesterday we had to lay up for a blizzard, and today we move dreadfully slowly. We are at number 14 Pony Camp, only two pony marches from one ton depot. We leave here our theodolite, a camera and oats sleeping bags diaries, etc., and geological specimens, carried at Wilson's special request, will be found with us or on our sledge. Sunday, March 18th. Today, lunch. We are twenty-one miles from the depot. Ill fortune presses, but better may come. We have had more wind and drift from ahead yesterday, had to stop marching, wind northwest, force four, temperature minus thirty-five degrees. No human being could face it and we are worn out, nearly. My right foot has gone, nearly all the toes. Two days ago I was proud possessor of best feet. Bowers takes first place in condition, but there is not much to choose after all. The others are still confident of getting through, or pretend to be. I don't know. We have the last half-fill of oil in our primus, and a very small quantity of spirit. This alone between us and thirst. The wind is fair for the moment, and that is perhaps a fact to help. The mileage would have seemed ridiculously small on our outward journey. Monday, March 19th, lunch. We camped with difficulty last night, and were dreadfully cold till after our supper of cold pemmican and biscuit and a half pannikin of cocoa cooked over the spirit. Then, contrary to expectation, we got warm and all slept well. 
Today we started in the usual dragging manner. Sledge dreadfully heavy. We are fifteen and a half miles from the depot, and ought to get there in three days. What progress! We have two days' food, but barely a day's fuel. All our feet are getting bad. Wilson's best. My right foot worst. Left or right. There is no chance to nurse one's feet till we can get hot food into us. Amputation is the least I can hope for now, but will the trouble spread? That is the serious question. The weather doesn't give us a chance. The wind from north to northwest, and minus forty degrees temperature today. Wednesday, March 21st. Got within eleven miles of depot Monday night. Had to lay up all yesterday in severe blizzard. Today forlorn hope. Wilson and Bowers going to depot for fuel. 22nd and 23rd. Blizzard as bad as ever. Wilson and Bowers unable to start. Tomorrow last chance. No fuel and only one or two of food left. Must be near the end. Have decided it shall be natural. We shall march for the depot with or without our effects and die in our tracks. Thursday, March 29th. Since the 21st we have had a continuous gale from the west-south-west and south-west. We had fuel to make two cups of tea apiece and bare food for two days on the 20th. Every day we have been ready to start for our depot, eleven miles away. But outside the door of the tent it remains a scene of whirling drift. I do not think we can hope for any better things now. We shall stick it out to the end, but we are getting weaker, of course, and the end cannot be far. It seems a pity, but I do not think I can write more. R. Scott Last entry. For God's sake, look after our people. The following extracts are from letters written by Scott. To Mrs. E. A. Wilson My dear Mrs. Wilson, if this letter reaches you, Bill and I will have gone out together. We are very near it now, and I should like you to know how splendid he was at the end, everlastingly cheerful and ready to sacrifice himself for others. Never a word of blame to me for leading him into this mess. He is not suffering, luckily, at least only minor discomforts. His eyes have a comfortable blue look of hope, and his mind is peaceful, with the satisfaction of his faith in regarding himself as part of the great scheme of the Almighty. I can do no more to comfort you than to tell you that he died as he lived, a brave, true man, the best of comrades, and staunchest of friends. My whole heart goes out to you in pity. Yours, R. Scott. To Mrs. Bowers My dear Mrs. Bowers, I am afraid this will reach you after one of the heaviest blows of your life. I write when we are very near the end of our journey, and I am finishing it in company with two gallant, noble gentlemen. One of these is your son. He had come to be one of my closest and soundest friends, and I appreciate his wonderful upright nature, his ability and energy. As the troubles have thickened, his dauntless spirit ever shone brighter, and he has remained cheerful, hopeful, and indomitable to the end. To Sir J. M. Barry My dear Barry, we are pegging out in a very comfortless spot, hoping this letter may be found and sent to you. I write a word of farewell. Good-bye. I am not at all afraid of the end, but sad to miss many a humble pleasure which I had planned for the future on our long marches. I may not have proved a great explorer, but we have done the greatest march ever made, and come very near to great success. Good-bye, my dear friend. Yours ever, R. Scott. We are in a desperate state. 
feet frozen, etc., no fuel, and a long way from food. But it would do your heart good to be in our tent, to hear our songs, and the cheery conversation as to what we will do when we get to Hut Point. Later. We are very near the end, but have not, and will not, lose our good cheer. We have four days of storm in our tent, and nowhere's food or fuel. We did intend to finish ourselves when things proved like this, but we have decided to die naturally in the track. The following extracts are from letters written to other friends. I want to tell you that I was not too old for this job. It was the younger men that went under first. After all, we are setting a good example to our countrymen, if not by getting into a tight place, by facing it like men when we were there. We could have come through had we neglected the sick. Wilson, the best fellow that ever stepped, has sacrificed himself again and again to the sick men of the party. Our journey has been the biggest on record, and nothing but the most exceptional hard luck at the end would have caused us to fail to return. What lots and lots I could tell you of this journey! How much better has it been than lounging in too great comfort at home! Message to the Public The causes of the disaster are not due to faulty organisation, but to misfortune in all risks which had to be undertaken. 1. The loss of pony transport in March 1911 obliged me to start later than I had intended, and obliged the limits of stuff transported to be narrowed. 2. The weather throughout the outward journey, and especially the long gale, in 83 degrees south, stopped us. 3. The soft snow in lower reaches of the glacier again reduced pace. We fought these untoward events with a will and conquered, but it cut into our provision reserve. Every detail of our food supplies, clothing and depots made on the interior ice sheet, and over that long stretch of seven hundred miles to the pole and back, worked out to perfection. The advance party would have returned to the glacier in fine form, and with surplus of food, but for the astonishing failure of the man whom we had least expected to fail. Edgar Evans was thought the strongest man of the party. The Beardmore Glacier is not difficult in fine weather, but on our return we did not get a single completely fine day. This, with a sick companion, enormously increased our anxieties. As I have said elsewhere, we got into frightfully rough ice, and Edgar Evans received a concussion of the brain. He died a natural death, but left us a shaken party, with the season unduly advanced. But all the facts above enumerated were as nothing to the surprise which awaited us on the barrier. I maintain that our arrangements for returning were quite adequate, and that no one in the world would have expected the temperatures and surfaces which we encountered at this time of the year. On the summit, in latitude 85 degrees to 86 degrees, we had minus 20 to minus 30 degrees. On the barrier, in latitude 82 degrees, 10,000 feet lower, we had minus 30 degrees in the day, minus 47 degrees at night, pretty regularly, with continuous headwind during our day marches. It is clear that these circumstances came on very suddenly, and our wreck is certainly due to this sudden advent of severe weather, which does not seem to have any satisfactory cause. I do not think human beings ever came through such a month as we have come through, and we should have got through, in spite of the weather, but for the sickening of a second companion, Captain Oates, and a shortage of fuel in our depots, for which I cannot account, and finally, but for the storm which has fallen on us within eleven miles of the depot, at which we hope to secure our final supplies. Surely misfortune could scarcely have exceeded this last blow. 
we arrived within eleven miles of our old one-ton camp, with fuel for one last meal and food for two days. For four days we have been unable to leave the tent, the gale howling about us. We are weak, writing is difficult, but for my own sake I do not regret this journey, which has shown that Englishmen can endure hardships, help one another, and meet death with as great a fortitude as ever in the past. We took risks. We knew we took them. Things have come out against us, and therefore we have no cause for complaint, but bow to the will of Providence, determined still to do our best to the last. But if we have been willing to give our lives to this enterprise, which is for the honour of our country, I appeal to our countrymen to see that those who depend on us are properly cared for. Had we lived, I should have had a tale to tell of the hardihood, endurance, and courage of my companions, which would have stirred the heart of every Englishman. These rough notes, and our dead bodies, must tell the tale. But surely such a great rich country like ours will see that those who are dependent on us are properly provided for. R. Scott End of chapter 18, part 2